0: We are in the book of Hebrews, and we're, uh, to chapter 2, so if you'll turn with me, New Testament, just before you get to James, which is close to Revelation, in the back, back there, Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to look um, particularly at verses 9 through 18, we finished last week with a um, looking at nine, but all these things make connections. I would um, challenge you, as we're going through the book of Hebrews, is to, um, as often as you can, is to pick one day. It takes, gosh, let's see, maybe less than 40 minutes. It depends on how fast you read. Um, Just read it all the way through in one sitting. Pick a, you know, set an hour aside and and just try to read it all the way through. And then... um, as you're doing whatever devotional type things you do, I would say you know read like at least a, a chapter, you know after that a day, and try to you know, make your way through it and get very familiar with the flow of the Book of Hebrews. And what you'll find is there's these themes that arise, there's things that are repeated again. And the more you become knowledgeable of what's in it, when you're reading the end. You kind of have the beginning in your mind. And when you're at the beginning, you have the end in your mind. So it's like watching a movie that you've seen a million times. And if it's a good movie, you always see something else in it. There's always something you didn't catch. Um, If it's a good book, there's things that when you read it again, it's like it's it's a new read every time. And so certainly with the word of God, um, we will see that. And two, seeing what we're going to preach next week, you get bulletins ahead of time, so you know we're just going through the book, so you know the next section will be what we're going to preach, how far we go, it depends on one, how much time it takes for me to get through this kind of introductory part, and you know, where the, what's a, a section of scripture that you can say, alright, there's a message right there. And today, we could take this verse 10, each verse so much to mine in this that um, no matter what we do, we're not going to come close to touching the richness of the things that are here. But by God's grace, we will see a hymn. So let's pray. Father God, we pray that as we take a look at this, that your spirit would take us so deep into your word that, um, that it changes us forever. And yet we know that no matter how deep we go into it, we could spend forever going deeper. So... Grant us spiritual eyes to be able to see a born again heart that we've been given that by your spirit we'd, be, we'd see our sin but we'd see the beauty of your grace and forgiveness and that we'd be transformed even more into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ by what we hear this morning But let us not just leave it here let us live in your gospel in this we pray in Christ's name amen so I'm just going to read this section, Hebrews chapter 2 and 9 through 18. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The Word of the Lord. So, the question I have written, what I have written at the very top of my notes here is, are you suffering? And you know suffering's a relative term you know suffering is a if you think about it it 's a terrible word it 's not just you know are you how you, how you feeling oh i 'm fine i 'm not doing too good today i 'm not feeling so well you know I am suffering so suffering is one of those words that we would even you know you equate it with misery, and when we use the word misery, we kind of use it in the sentence that we would use putting someone out of their misery, which we mean killing them so that they no longer suffer. Or we might even say they're just suffering. We need to put them out of their misery. So we would say, you know, are you suffering? And we hopefully at that point will be able to say lest ye kill me, let me say no I'm doing fine. But when we think about what suffering is, there are levels of suffering. And what one person might go through, and what another person goes through, it's relative as to how they feel about it. I mean, I might smash my, I remember, I won't start thinking of what are the worst pains I've had in my life, but I remember one time when I was little, I slammed or had someone slam, it didn't matter who was at fault, my finger got slammed in a car door, and it wasn't coming out until that car door got opened. That hurt so bad that I remember it today. I can't remember, I can't feel it anymore. I mean, in my memory, I can't. I remember it being terrible. I remember the pin being pulled out of my heel when I had surgery on my heel, and the guy just jerked it out, not just some guy, he was actually working at the hospital. And I, and I grabbed him, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I said, what did you do? He said, "The pen had to come out, and I said, why didn't you tell me? He said, what do you want me to tell you, that you're about to experience the most pain you've ever experienced in your life? I said, it would have done for a beginning. <laughs> so, you know, but it was, a, it was a, looking back at it, it was a slight momentary affliction. At the moment, there was an eternity spent in that moment. And some of these things bring us to mind of the things of God, but the suffering—it can be physical, it can be emotional. It's a, And I was looking up these words to see how how do people define this word um, "pathema," which is you know the the word there in Greek. It's a distress, misery, agony, feeling of pain, physical, mental, emotional pain. And we all go through that. And you might not want to say, you know, suffering, miserable, but there are times we probably all experience that. You know, maybe it's, and you might look at it and go, well, it was silly for me to feel that way. Or it was silly for them to feel that way. It's like, it doesn't matter. If you feel that way, you feel that way. And the worst thing the husbands learn, if they're trying to learn things, is, um, you know, you're, something happens to your wife and, and she's suffering. You do not try to tell her why what she did. How to never do, you know, such as something silly. See, I won't have <laughs> right. yeah. Let's say something that's like, relatively inconsequential. See, I can't even give an example because all these things might be rather significant. Something happens to someone else and to them it's significant. And then we come along as men and what we want to do is fix it don't worry about it, you know, we can get another one. Or, if you had not done this, it would not have happened. I'm just trying to make sure this doesn't happen in the future. All Amy's hearing is, oh, you're calling me stupid. (laughs) It's like, no, now I'm suffering. And so, you know, but it all has to do with, when we're going through these things, what we need, or somebody who's willing to come along beside us and sort of suffer with us, or at least pat you on the back, hug you. Remember when we used to could do that? Well, families, you can still do that. You can hug one another. It just, you know, I, I hate this for you. And maybe I don't understand why you're going, you know, something happens. And I don't understand why that's so important to you. I remember, here's an example. Um, the people that you lived next door to my grandparents. Um, Hurricane Hugo came through. Um, Devastating. Wake up next morning like bombs had gone off. And uh, the lady next door was very upset over her garden being destroyed. I was a younger guy, and I remember thinking, people have lost homes. People have lost their life. People have lost. And you're crying because of your garden. And I just remember thinking, how petty. And uh, I didn't say it to her. I mean, I was at least sensitive enough not to. Utter the things that are in my heart to somebody at that time, but as I keep thinking about it and looking back at it, it's like I didn't understand what it meant to her. You know, that thing had meant that's I don't know. She's older than I was. She grew up by anyway. She had been there a long time, and this garden was something she put a lot of effort into. It was something that she loved, and it had been destroyed, and so she saw it, and it was a, you know. So the best thing for someone to do in that situation would not be go over and say it's just a garden. You can plant another one. You know, at least your house didn't get broken. You know, it's like she knows all these things but what she knew all these things but what she needed and what she got was a group of people who were all I've heard a saying here recently you've probably heard it too you know we're all in the same storm but we're not all in the same boat. So you know the things are happening But some people have different situations within these happenings. And so what she needed was for people to come along beside her and say it's going to be okay. I know. I know. And then just to weep with her. So that we weep with those who weep. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. But to deny the existence of pain and suffering. And so I would just say as we think about suffering, um, there are levels of it. But one of the worst lies in the Christian book of lies that we can give to people is if you're good enough Christian, you're not going to suffer. If you um, live your life to the best faithfully as you can, you're not going to suffer. Um, God is up there cheering for you for all good things to happen, but Satan just keeps getting in the way and God just continually goes, oh, you know, and I've I read things on Facebook. Um, I hear people talk. I see things on TV where people are talking about God. And one of the things they're really upset about now, some Christians, that they chastise others for, is to say that, you know, God sent the virus. Um, God is in control of these things. It's like, God didn't send that. And I remember R.C. Sproul years ago, at a conference we went to, he said he was watching... um, Pat Robertson on TV, and um, he was talking to some woman who had been through something terrible, and she said, "I just don't know why God um, allowed that or why God put me through that." He said that Pat Robertson said, "God didn't do that. That wasn't God that did that. That was that was Satan that did that." And I remember Sproul said, "Oh, Pat, <laughs> you're taking away your only hope. <laughs> what are you doing?" Satan is a created being and Tony Evans talks about it like this the opposite of black is white the opposite of light is darkness the opposite of good is evil the opposite of God is Satan he said no don't fall into that yin yang balanced evil and good philosophy God is perfectly good and holy and he's the creator and controller of all things Satan has no power unless it is granted to him by God It's a difficult truth to to wrap your head and your heart around, but think about it. What do you want to be? Do you want to be praying and hoping that that God wins? (laughs) That, That He actually, maybe, hopefully, the good angels are going to be stronger than the evil angels this time. But it's not. God is in absolute, total control. So that we're able to say with Scripture... That all things, and that's what that means there, all things are working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And the only way that's possible is if he's in control of absolutely everything, which indeed he is. So then we think about our pain the things that we're going to go through and some people go through um, I mean there are levels and we are able to say you know you can see some people just suffer and and it's difficult um, it was in the Shriners hospital for a while and I remember there was the one kid there that um, something with his legs were I don't know but they had, him, they had him in cast and they had a bar between his legs and they would turn that thing and it would push his bones apart and he would be in agony and the rest of the kids all around playing, you know, doing all these things. And he's just, you, you get, I, didn't know, I don't know his name. I didn't ever talk to him. We didn't get to know him. He was just suffering. And, but it was for a good purpose. I hope they knew what they were doing. And, you know, I had to worry about that with God. But he was going through this time for a purpose. And so you have this book written to this small church outside of Rome. A group of Jewish Christians who've been cast out of the synagogue. Nero has now said, well, you know, they don't have legal protection anymore. I mean, he starts blaming the Christians. You read the history of what was going on with Nero and the terrible suffering he put people through. Um, and then you have, it appears that Hebrews has written to this group of Christians, small group of Christians gathered together, and they're, why are we suffering? Why are we going through this? Is it something we've done wrong? Um, and others would be telling them, this is obvious that God does not love you. You're wrong about these things because look what you're going through. And so then we catch that. We, we hear that from Christians. Some Christians, you know, you hear if you're doing good, you have enough faith, then um, you won't go through these sufferings. Things will go well for you. Then you hear from the world saying, you know, <laughs> you, you need to abandon your faith. It's just causing you problems. And then other false religions in other countries in countries who are dominated by false religions that will persecute Christians. I mean, they kill people, torture people for coming to Christ. How could we possibly say that our God's a good God, that, that those people are right? That those people aren't suffering because of evil they're doing? And then we had to break all this down into our smaller lives, our units of living, as we go through the stuff that we go through. A lot of it is our own making. A lot of it is just like, well, you know, I just had that one coming. Or you've done something that's like, you knew you shouldn't have done it, and now you're dealing with the consequences of it. Maybe you have evil people who are persecuting you for no apparent reason. Uh, You have illnesses, you have physical problems, you have emotional problems, mental problems. Who knows what all it is? And who knows what's yet to come? But we're all going to go through more. And so, Tony Evans... I disagree with a lot of us theology, but man, he can turn a phrase, and he knows the scripture, and I believe he's a believer, and he's got a good thing he said. He says he can't lay a foundation in the rain. And I disagree with it somewhat, because sometimes the only foundations we ever rain, ever lay is when the rains are coming, but in the midst of suffering, it's very difficult to wrap your head around who God is and what it is, so you, but, but that sometimes is the only time in that crucible of suffering when our faith begins to to be... Um, tweaked and to be sharpened, to be tested so that the, the bad parts of what we believe, like if you think if I do good I get good and your life goes perfectly well you have no reason to believe otherwise. But if you believe if I do good then I get good and if bad happens <laughs> you've got to start rethinking your old theology. You read your Bible differently this time. Maybe you've missed something. The whole book of Job is about suffering, and he was a righteous man. I mean, that's what God said. The book of Job is to demonstrate, at least at one point, that um, the righteous can suffer. And God has purpose for it. And when Job finally gets a response from God, the response is, (laughs) Who are you who darkens counsel with me? The Most High God. Um, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? You know, he's like, I'm God. You don't understand the big picture here. And the problem was not that Job was suffering, but he got himself to the point where he began to charge God with wrong. Because he says, I am righteous. I shouldn't be suffering. I am suffering. Give me an audience before God and I'll tell him, you're not right. <laughs> you know, basically, I'm just. Get me before him and I will, I will have this audience. And God says, no, you don't understand who I am. So we're all glad to be back to church. Many of us, those of us that are. But as we worship, we don't deny our pains, our sorrows, our struggles. And we're reminded that we are to pray at all times with thanksgiving. So no matter what we're in, there has to be a... a, a Part of the way you can deal with it is through finding out, even in the midst of terrible suffering, is there anything I can be thankful for? And just being thankful for the ability to pray, pray, the ability for God to hear, the ability, sometimes even thankful that this will end one day. I mean, it's a, a terrible place you're in. Just be thankful that this world will end and one day I'll be gone. You know? So it can also be a good place to be. It enables you to, to, to work in this world and to serve the Lord and know that this light, as Paul called this, who suffered terribly all sorts of things because of his faith, called it a light momentary affliction and that the sufferings of this world cannot be compared to the glory that awaits us. So I can get through this because I know the time is short. And I know there's purpose in it. And I know that God is at work. And I know that, you know, it's like ripping that bandaid off. I mean, some of you can't understand, but us people with hairy arms, I'll tell the nurses when I go and I give blood, I'm like, I'm not worried about the needle, but can you use anything other than an adhesive bandage on my arm? Because when you rip that thing off, it's like, you know, you're being waxed in that one little place. And it's like, why would anybody pay to have that done? And it's like, it's just, but I know it's like you just kind of go, one, two, three, go. And you might, ah! but it's over, and it's done. But, you know, we'll do lots of things. Wet it, put soap on it, try to get, we will go too much into it. Except to say that it is a thing I do not like. <laughs> but there's purpose in it. But just leave it there. It's, you can't leave it, you know. It. It's got to go. So, there are times in our lives when something just needs to be yanked out. And that yanking can take a long, long time. And that yanking can go on for a very, very long time. Sometimes it's not like this. It's like, you know. And so then you've got to figure out, how do I deal with this? You know, I mean, you pray. And you pray differently. You read the Bible differently. I mean, you talk to people who've dealt with suffering a different type, whether it be physical, emotional, psychological, whatever it is. They've been through it and they're believers. Um, you get a depth of faith and a knowledge of God that's different than other people who haven't really been through so much. Not that people who haven't been through as much don't have a deep faith and have lots of things to learn, but you know, it's like talking, if you talk to a, a, a wealthy Christian and he's really a strong believer, you, you probably, hopefully, would get the right perspective on money. That the love of money is the root of all evil. That many people have been pierced by... Um, wealth and things, that it can be a, a curse as well as a blessing, you know, and so I know we secretly might all say, well, I'd love to go through that kind of suffering, you know, it's like, but Paul said, you know, there's, there's, it's God, where you are in your faith, that's what's the most important, because, but you have to have an eternal perspective, without the eternal perspective, you're not going to, to see this, so to this group of Christians. That he's, the original reading audience of Hebrews have been kicked out of the synagogue. The governor, Caesar, Nero, the king, has said, I'm going to persecute them because he was evil. We look at verse 9. That was given first to that group of Christians and now to us. We see him now who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. He's crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So, so his suffering had purpose. Now that's important. And it goes on. in verse 10, for it was fitting that he, Jesus, I'm sorry, God, for it was fitting that he, God, for whom and by whom all things exist, And bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, if you think that's kind of worded oddly in English, you ought to try to read it in Greek. But the good thing about Greek, it kind of explains to you a little bit better exactly what he's talking about here. And so, first let's just look at, it was fitting. But I want to go, fitting for what? Fitting that Christ, the founder of their salvation, who the sons of many glory, the sons of glory, and then we go back up to chapter 1, verse 14. He's talking about those who are to inherit salvation. Are they, they all not ministering spirits, these angels? Are they not sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And then verse 10 it's fitting that God, for whom and by whom He's a creator, all things were created for Him. So we kind of let's, let's hit that a second is that why does everything exist? For God. Okay. This, this isn't here for you. There's lots of stuff here that's for you. Okay. But, and I don't want to compare it too much to this, but if you have an aquarium, you have it all set up, and everything's set up so that the fish have what they need, and they have all this. You know, but, but I, when I have an aquarium, some people do this differently, But when I have an aquarium, I'm not doing it for the fish. Oh, let me go save some fish. Oh, how many fish could I save? I need to get them in this thing. Come on, fish. And I'm doing it for the fish. I'm doing it for me. I want. I mean, yeah, sorry to be talking about an aquarium. Amy said, it's a lot of work and she ends up doing it. I'm not seeing why that is. But it's true. But I love an aquarium. I had a big 30-gallon aquarium. But it was for me, not for the fish. He didn't mean I love the fish. I didn't care for the fish. But it was for me. God created us. We're not just fish. We're not just an aquarium. But ultimately, this is for Him. This is for Him. And fortunately for us, it's for our good too, because He is for us. He wanted to demonstrate something about His love and glory and majesty and power, express it in a way that you can only understand under certain situations. You can never understand, you never understand forgiveness until you don't deserve it and somebody gives it to you. Then you begin to understand forgiveness. You don't understand the alleviation of suffering until somebody gives you something that causes you not to suffer anymore. So you have a, you know, a wound and you get morphine or something. It's like, man, some people fall in love with the morphine. You've know, you got to be careful with things like that. But this exists for God. For whom and by whom all things exist. And then he made the founder of our salvation perfect through suffering. Now, he made the perfect perfect. And he didn't make the perfect more perfect. He did something in Jesus that was new. He took the Son of God, became man, took on flesh, and saved sinners. And he became a perfect Savior. How did he... And the word perfect there is telestai word to telestai might be one of the greek words you know it's the, the Jesus on the cross says it is finished he says it has been accomplished the end is here everything that needed to be done has been done and he says here in this word perfect he has made telos he is the end for which he was created he has been completed everything that needed to happen for him to be the founder of our salvation the author of our salvation the captain of our salvation the perfect leader of our salvation Was done. And how was that accomplished? Through suffering. And then it says. For that was fitting. That God would do it in that way. And what that word fitting means. Is that it perfectly matched. God's character to do that. Not that he's. Excited about causing suffering. For somebody. But that the way to glory through sin. Was a path of suffering. Was that. You're not going to defeat the powers of darkness by alleviating all suffering. But God was going to enter in and save and bring many sons to glory by himself entering into our suffering. And going into the depth of our suffering in greater ways than we can imagine. We, we, we experience suffering on some levels, some at deeper levels than others, but Christ experienced it at a, at a far deeper level than we could ever imagine. So much so as just mere humans, it will take an eternity to be able to taste the wrath of God to the depth that Jesus experienced on the cross. So that He tasted death, He drank, ate, He experienced it for us and suffered and entered into our suffering for this purpose. So what he's saying to these people and to us is, so don't look at suffering as just evil. Don't look at suffering as just an indication that Satan is at work. Suffering is what brought us to glory, the suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this was fitting for him. Now what he does is, the author of Hebrews goes through quotes the Psalms. He goes through, because these are Jewish believers, they know their Old Testament, and so if you look at Psalm 8, so just hold your place here a minute and go to Psalm 8, and look at this um, Psalm that the author is quoting here, and he actually quotes the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible that they would have had in front of them, and um, as he goes on in the Hebrews, as you're finding Psalm 8, he says, For he who sanctifies and those who sanctify all have one origin. It literally says all are one. All are of one. And that is why he says, so, you know, God, God is the one who's sanctified, and God is the one who's sanctifying. us like God, the Trinity is all called up into our salvation. And he says that's why Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call us brother's family he's not ashamed of that and that's that's an amazing thing and he says and this is where the quote's going to come in when we look at verse 8 he says I will tell your name to my brothers I will tell of your name to my brothers whose name God's name I Jesus am going to tell your name God to my brothers and where is he going to do that in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise the congregation. Where's the congregation? Here's the good news. Congregation for us right now. This is it. We're in it. We're in the congregation. Where is Jesus? You see the right hand of God the Father. Yes. But he's also God. And what is He doing? He's telling our His Father's name to us through His Spirit. How do you learn about God? Through the Spirit of Christ. And what's He doing? He's in the midst of the congregation singing God's praises. And I have a, a quote from... John Calvin, where he says, I kind of went off script here for a minute, so somewhere he is the one, come on. Well, I'll have to give it to you as best I can from memory, I guess, which it says he is, basically he says Christ is our worship leader. He is the one that leads our singing. He is the one that leads our our prayers, and so that's what we have. That's who we have in our midst. So, if you look at Psalm eight, and we're just going to read verses. Um, well, let's start verse one. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in the earth? You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes you have established, and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy, the and the avenger. Now, if you've been here throughout Hebrews, you've said he's already quoted from Psalm eight one time. Yes. Going back to it again. When I look at your heavens, which is what? The work of your fingers. Okay? You have kids that do finger painting? You know? How much... If you have Leonardo da Vinci, and he's going to do finger painting, you're like, oh, it's not going to be as good as as if he would just use the regular tools and get in there. It's like, yeah. But imagine... If your kid's Leonardo da Vinci and he gives you a finger painting, that thing's gonna be awesome. Now you're gonna love your kids anyway because it's gonna be awesome. But God does the, the heavens, and the more we look into the heavens, it's like a trillions of. It, it's like what's a galaxy? Have like trillions of stars or something. And then there's billions and billions of galaxies. And the further out you go, if you just look on a clear night, you should just be. In awe and amaze. And he says that's the work of his fingers. It's just trying to say it didn't take all of him, it just took his fingers, the word of his power he speaks. So when I look at that, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you have set in place, what's man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts, the field, birds, the, the heavens, fish, the sea, whatever passes over the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So he is our creator, God. And that's what we see in Hebrews where he says, it is fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist should bring many sons to glory and that it is through suffering that we see this. It is the bringing of many sons to glory is the greatest display of God's power. Because he created the universe with his fingers. He created our salvation with his son. It took, is it Joyce's piano playing? wonderful? I'm worried my phone, I had to have my phone on. The volume turned up. Well, I shouldn't say it, but anybody calls, we hear here. Phone ring. Um, so don't do it. Just be funny. So, if the universe displays His power and His glory, and is the work of His fingers, think of what our salvation brings. What it displays about His power and His glory, because it's the work of His Son. God made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Second Corinthians five twenty-one. Doing that unfathomable. The work of our salvation is more amazing than the universe, more glorious than the stars in heaven, but do we see it as such? And that's how we need to see it. Some people never seem to look up and many people never look inside and see sin and then stand in awe of the holy creator of all things. The one true God, the holy omnipotent God stand in awe of what God has done in us. And then to be able to worship him. What God has done in the person of Jesus Christ to have forgiveness given to us, to take our place in suffering on the cross instead of us. That's the power and glory of God. So there's lots of many people, lots, lots of many people, a lot of people look at the stars and they say, it's pretty. It's amazing that there's no God that did that just come up. Well, nothing, or a big bang, you know, where did all that come from? It, it just exists, self-existent. And then therefore, I have no one to answer to but myself. Now, as a believer, we look at that and go, that's terrible, do you deal with suffering. But as a non-believer, you might look at that and go, wow, if there's no guide I don't have to answer to him and you expect me to look at the universe and come up with right answers when I've got that as what's laying on the line? It's like somebody saying you know what I want you to perform this test on a hundred people and if it comes out with this outcome I'm gonna give you a million dollars if you get another outcome you get nothing you owe me a million dollars outcomes gonna be pretty easy to, to conclude and so when the outcome Of what we believe about the things we see in this world can be. There is a guide and you need to be thinking about who this guide is. That's going to skew the way you view the evidence. So we have to be careful. That we view the evidence of God. In the way that the Bible tells us to. So we can't be deluded. If we want to see the greatness. And demonstration of God's power and glory. We have to look at the cross. We can look at the heavens but look at the cross. And that word, their founder in the ESV, King James is captain, New American Standards is the author, NIV says pioneer. The word literally is chief leader, and that's the person who does something first. you see where the word founder comes in, the founder of something is the first one to do it. Um, But what he also does is he leads by example. And what he does here is he leads a great train of the redeemed, the saved, are led by our savior, But it's also, he's done this as an example. So what he's done is he has shown the way of salvation is through suffering. So what they did in the Middle Ages is they would take these things and they beat themselves with it. (laughs) To suffer. Make yourself suffer. Because in suffering I get closer to God. And it's almost like, really? You have to try to make, there's not enough suffering in the world that you can already deal with without having to take something and beat yourself with it. I mean, it's like, it, it's too much of a superficial view of suffering. I mean, I, I would love to have gone up and talked to those guys. And they, they, I mean, like, you see some weird thing. Monty Python does some weird stuff with it. But it's like, it really, I mean, people taking a board. Was it seen? Oh you no, know, They are a whack. Yeah, you know, right in their head. <laughs> like they would do it. They would take these things and, and they would literally beat themselves so that um, they could experience pain and suffering and sharing the sufferings of Christ. But that's not Jesus Um, that's not what he's talking about. There's enough suffering in this world without us having to go looking for it. And if you were to look at it, well, real quick, 1 Peter, just a little back toward Revelation. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we start reading in verse 18. Peter explains this a little bit better. So, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants. For, to, for this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He who committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not, there, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So to take that verse about being healed and think that means physical healing is 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 disastrous to people's faith. You know, what is the healing that we've had? It's our spiritual healing because we were straying like sheep and now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. He showed the way to heaven. And it will be through trials and tribulations. And you will have suffering in this life. But in this life, you also see the goodness of God. In this life, you can also be light. That's why we meet together. We're told encourage one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. But when you see the fiery trial that comes upon you, he says later, Peter, don't be surprised. As if something strange is happening. Because this is the way that God makes us more like Christ. Take up your cross, your unjust suffering, whatever it is that God has for you to bear and bear it. And bear it in faith. It doesn't mean you don't try to get rid of it. If you have cancer, try to get rid of it. If you have a broken arm, mend it. Can I take medicine for my pain? Yes. Don't fall in love with it. Don't get addicted to it in these things. But even those things, and even the, the physical things can be nothing compared to the emotional and spiritual and psychological pain that we can experience from other people. But don't let, it, don't let Satan use that against you to say that, see he doesn't love you, see he doesn't care, see you're not doing it right, see it's all messed up. It's, suffering is a part of the Christian life, it's going to be there, count the cost. You don't call people to come to Christ because then your life's going to get so much better. Sometimes it doesn't. But being in Christ is better than being outside of Christ. Suffering in Christ is much better than going through no suffering. It's what Satan told Jesus. I'll give you everything. you got to do all this suffering. And no. Peter... You know, saying to Jesus, you know, God forbid that you should go and die on the cross. You go and suffer. Get thee behind me, Satan. You have your mind on the things of man, not the things of God. And so we have to have our minds set on the things of God. And then just to, to finish it here, it says, you know, verse 13. And, um, well, the... I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. That's from Psalm 22. Psalm 22 begins like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when Jesus on the cross cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And everybody's like, he's crying for it. At the time, they're like, give him something to drink. He's calling for Elijah. We won't see that happen. And then we hear it and we say... My goodness, God abandoned him. But if we look at it hear what the Holy Spirit is saying, what Jesus is doing is quoting Psalm 22. And you quote the first line, you have the whole psalm in mind. And where that psalm goes is, I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. This is what Jesus is singing from the cross. This is the joy that's set before him. He endured the suffering, despising the shame, so that he could be with us today in our midst, not being ashamed to call us brothers, which is amazing, but that he might sing our praises God's praises in our midst through the congregation to the glory of God so that he is here and on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the whole psalm is there with him. And he says, I will proclaim your glory to my brothers in the midst of the congregation." And then we would maybe sit here and say, God can't be forced because we're suffering. And the Holy Spirit just says, ye a little faith, why do you doubt? He doesn't deny the intensity of the pain. He experienced it. It even has a strange thing it says in here that I'd love to look at more, which is, well, let's read it, 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise betook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death as a devil. He's been destroyed. Death is the last enemy to be destroyed. In verse 15, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it was not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And we're going to look at this next time, But being the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Merciful, faithful high priest. Those guys have been kicked out of the synagogue and have a high priest. Now they have a faithful and merciful high priest, Jesus Christ, who make propitiation for the sins of people because he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. So what I want to explore next time is in what way did Jesus suffer when he was tempted? Because he didn't suffer by going, gosh, I really do want to steal that. I just can't do it. Oh, And suffering because he didn't want to steal and sin. It never dawned on him to steal something. I mean, he would have the ability to know that it could be stolen, but he was like repulsive to him. Any moral sin would have been repulsive to him. So in what way was he tempted? And I think it has a lot to do with just seeing sin. I think he could it's his passive obedience. God could have righteously destroyed people at every turn and not have broken the law. But he could not be the author of our salvation if he did that. He had to submit to the suffering and death. He had to submit to the evil that was there. And I'm sure there was great temptation, such as that's why that's the way that Satan came in and tempted him knew how to get to him. But it wasn't going to happen. Because Jesus was faithful and a merciful high priest who would go through these things. But he knows what we're going through. He's been through more than we have been through. Different things. He doesn't minimize your pain. But he's been there. And he's taken care of sin. So you're not being punished. Out of the wrath of God. If you're experiencing discipline or pain, there is redemptive activity in it. There's things in it that you can learn to make us more like Jesus. All right. Like I said, there's too much. There's way too much in this stuff. So we're going to go back to this some, but when we come to the Lord's table today, remember that He took on flesh, and now He's in heaven. And heaven meets earth at this table. So that we physically get to commune with him spiritually. So that his spiritual presence is present in those physical things that represent the gospel to us. But we're the physical thing here. And he calls us to discern the body of Christ. So let's pray. Father God, people go through hard things. And there are times when those things... Are unbearable. People killed themselves. People throwing themselves out of buildings and on fire, on fire. Not because they want to jump to something, but they're jumping away from something. So we pray that if, if we ever get to the point of great despair, that by your grace and your mercy you would remind us to hang on a little bit longer, that you would send encouragement our way, that you would give us more faith, that you would help us to have endurance, and that we would remember that you too experienced great suffering and pain. And even for those who aren't quite that bad off, but might doubt your love, might doubt their faith, others will be a reminder that in this life there will be there is hardship and there is pain. But at the table, we see the glory of God, the author and perfecter of our faith, founder of our salvation, at work. So you sustain us. And sometimes we just have to say it just a little further, just a little longer, something more to do or bear. Teach us to have our eyes focused on you and hold us by the word your power